Hey lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. Hey, lunatics. Uh, Good to be back with you. It's been another... uh, Long and good two weeks for me. Uh, this is this episode is going to be another iteration of Off the Record, uh, which I haven't done for a couple months, but I feel like it's appropriate to now. Just a couple things have happened that makes me kind of in the mood for a more extemporaneous take on an episode. And those things that have sort of co- coalesced into a single topic or a theme uh, that I want to bring to you today is uh, I want to call it the farming game. And uh, this is going to be uh, a talk that's a little bit more about farming than food. Uh, but if you're listening to a show about food, I feel like you wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more of a farming-centric episode every now and then. So I was initially introduced to the idea of the farming game through a board game that had the same title. And I played it with uh David Boatwright, who you've heard sporadically throughout uh, these episodes, and he was on the first episode, Impersonating a Chicken. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Uh, But the farming game is this board game that supposedly simulates what life is like to be a farmer. And, you know, you play it, and you start, and uh, the goal is, I think, to earn a certain amount of money, like, to have a certain amount of operating capital, as I think, like, considered winning um i'm a little bit fuzzy on that but the important part is that um to win the game um to get this certain amount of money uh you have the option of getting a big loan and at certain points throughout the game whenever like a chance die is cast sometimes that you will have to pay on that loan and make like double a monthly payment or you have to you have to make a year's payment or like you know there's some um event there's some extreme event that happens that necessitates you paying on the principle of your loan and part of what pushes so many players into failing the game is because they've taken out loans that exceed their ability to pay them back should an extreme event hit them. And this is, uh, strangely enough, uh, exactly like the farming world. And this is exactly the, a problem that people fall into when they're farming. And the way to beat the farming game, both in the board game 
and in real life is to not go into debt. Um, if you, on a very small scale, if you want to play the farming game, if you just take out no loans, and the consequence of that is that you just grow very slowly, as in real life, right? If you're a business and you don't take out any operating loans, you just grow extremely slowly. You will beat the farming game because every time that you have to, that severe event happens that comes where you have to pay down on the principal of your loan, you don't have any loan to pay and you just get to operate as if nothing bad just happened. Um, you'd be surprised how much of farming in the real world that results in food that you and me eat uh, operates out of this very uh, stringent mindset um, that they are they are forced into farming a certain way and to farm even at the volume that they farm at because of the debt that they have incurred. Um, there's this guy, so we're building our house right now, and he is doing. He was doing some of the plumbing, and I was talking to him. And he, his family farms. Uh, they do corn and soybeans, which is just like a very basic uh, crop rotation. And they do it in the spring and the fall. So in the spring and the fall, he does all farming. And in the summer and the winter, he uh, focuses on um, building projects, something to just to keep the cash flow up. And. I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, would you guys ever think about diversifying um, what crops you plant? Like maybe doing a seasonal uh, variety. Like, for instance, hemp is huge right now. Like you, There are some farmers that are um, making really good money by direct marketing, like kind of small acreage crops to local businesses. And his answer to me, I think, is really tells a lot about the state of farming in America and possibly around the world. And he's like, you know, no, he's like, I don't think we'd ever try to do that because we already have all the equipment we need for corn and soybeans. So it wasn't a question of, did he want to, it wasn't a question of, was it profitable? It was that they were invested in the machinery that it takes to farm corn and soybeans that they are forced and necessitated to farm that way it doesn't matter has, like environmental impacts aside economic like it's i mean that's it's i guess an economic question but like everything else is essentially discounted because they've kind of pigeonholed themselves into this kind of farming method um these are just some of the decisions that farmers make all the time you know they buy a really expensive piece of machinery farming machinery usually costs hundreds of thousands of dollars it's insane i just just for grins i put together a cotton picker on john deere's website the other day i have no intention of ever harvesting cotton it was just an extremely expensive piece of machinery and i could if i bought a pretty basic cotton picker with a few upgrades from the factory, it's over a million dollars. I mean, that's nuts. Uh, there's this guy I saw on Craigslist who was selling his combine. And his combine, according to him, um, and these are things that you're used to harvest your grains. Uh, they they can run in the neighborhood of $400,000 to get a new one. And according to him, he was selling his old combine for $50,000. And there was no problems with it. He said everything was new. It had been updated. It runs fine. He just wanted a new one. And the problem is, is that this farmer, 
he's probably going to save himself a few hours. Like, you know, new, new combines come with some cool toys, right? You know, you can, you can save yourself, I'm sure, hours worth of work uh, by getting a new combine because they have all these fancy little things. Uh, there's even combines that, like, have, are geolocated uh, with, there are these, like, bins that combine use. Like, so when they've, like, harvested a grain, they, like, dump the grain into this bin. that And the new ones, like, depending on where you are at in your field, you can, like, send this message to your bin and your bin will come to you like it will drive to your combine and then you just unload your grain into it and then it will drive somewhere else instead of you having to drive to it so like there are cool things that come but like to the tune you know he's selling it for fifty thousand. it costs 400 that the new one costs four hundred thousand. you know he's valuing and i would argue overvaluing his time you know because he's valuing it to the tune of $350,000. And there's just no market in the world that supports that valuation. And this is, you know, these are some of the decisions that are made before the food ever gets onto your plate that reflects why food prices are so high or in some cases why they're so low. Um, The only reason that we have as much corn as we have in the U.S. is because the government subsidizes it. Like, I mean, and there's an ethanol mandate, right? So like, I think 10% of the gas in your car, every drop of gas is ethanol. So like the only reason why we're making that much corn is because the government has demanded that it become part of our fuel supply. Um, and then, you know, corn is used to make a zillion different things that aren't even food. Um, and soybeans are similar. So before the food ever gets on your plate, there are all these decisions made by the government and by the farmers that are, increasing the volume artificially and increase the oh what would it be um the the price or or depressing the price artificially uh you're not actually like paying the real market price for corn or soybeans and part of the reason i know that is because um they were they've done uh the government keeps track of you know what uh, a the farming economy makes every year and it hasn't the year hasn't ended yet but uh the f- 29 in 2019 the average farmer in the US uh they are if you spread out what the government has paid to farmers in subsidies in crop insurance um in direct aid even with the most recent administration uh the average farmer at least one third of their income is set to come from the government now there are some farmers who don't make who make everything from from themselves, like for instance, like we do. Um, and there are some that will make everything from the government. Um, but if you spread it out over all U.S. farmers, one third of their income is going to come from the government, which just shows you like the how uh, how well, what's it called? Like how dependent we are on the government and how far dependent farmers are on the government for creating a stable market for them. So, cause when Trump, Trump got in a trade war with China recently, um, China was a huge, uh, buyer, particularly of us soybeans. And so he got into a trade war. They stopped buying soybeans. Now Trump has been bailing out the farmers because they've been really hurting. And, it's actually incredible how much money he has paid to these farmers. I remember when conservatives were like, like some conservatives were losing their minds over the um, 
the auto bailouts in Detroit in 2009. And now that was $12 billion, and most of that's been paid back. This year, it's closer to $28 billion that it's being paid out to farmers. And you haven't heard anything about it. I mean, I've heard crickets from conservatives because, you know, nobody really wants to to say anything about farmers because we all need them so bad. But yeah, $28 billion. That's t- more than double what it was in 09 for the auto industry. And like that is, I can easily say that, that. I mean, that's unsustainable in the long term. And even farmers, the farmers who are getting the bailouts, there's this one guy who was, uh, he was asked what he thought about the bailouts, and he's like, he he, the, the, he was asked an interesting question. He's like, "Do the bailouts make you whole?" And he said, "I'd rather have the free market because they get paid even you know for their losses. They're getting paid a dollar sixty-five a bushel, and on the free market they would have got two dollars and twenty cents a bushel. So I mean, it's not really like equivalent, and I mean it can't be subsidies. You're never going to get more for something than you would have." on the free market um you're probably always going to get less um yeah it's 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 crazy and um so another so something else that doesn't make sense i'm just kind of reading reading my notes here um there it seems like the commodity based system across farmers is is something that like it's there's it's never right you know, it's it's something that like it's never good um, because as soon as you know there's high prices for something, then you know all the farmers who are doing that do more of it, and then all the prices just plunge because there's like an oversupply of it. Um, it it's something that like it seems like there's no winners, there's only losers from the commodity-based system, and um, really a solution for that once again I'll say is direct marketing um, if you can come up with your own customers and if farmers and if you as consumers can go and find farmers who want to sell to people in their area and want to have a direct relationship with them like you know those farmers can set their own prices and you can be um, guaranteed as a consumer that your entire dollar is going to that farm um, I did a episode a couple weeks ago and it's actually sad to know that only the 7.8 cents out of every dollar spent on food in the U.S. actually goes back to the farmer. So if you buy direct from a farmer, you know that 100% of your cents, 100 cents out of every dollar are going to that farmer. They're not going you know, to the middleman. They're not going to grocery stores. They're not going to executives. They're going to the farmer. And that's a beautiful thing. Um is beyond uh kind of like the commodity prices it whenever farmers talk about the weather it's like the same thing uh because this spring is funny uh, so my landlord does hogs and so we both do animals we do uh sheep and cows he does hogs and it's like you know especially when it comes to the weather it's like that's something that will almost always guaranteed to have a farmer complain about because this spring i was i was telling him i was like i was like man like this is the this is probably the most beautiful spring i have ever experienced like this couldn't be better right and you know we farm on the same road like there's zero difference between the climate of our farms and he's like too wet (laughs) he's like i wish it was more dry and i'm over here i farm just down the road and i'm like it couldn't be more perfect so it's weird that like even in like the farming community when it comes to things like the weather and things like commodity prices like there's there's no unified opinion on them. And it seems like 
it's more skewed toward the kind of complaining and uh, negative end of the spectrum than anything. Uh, yeah, farming is it's something that I I did, had no hope of understanding um, before I actually just you know jumped into the deep end of the pool. Um, it, it's much more convoluted than I ever gave it credit for. And, you know, I've even, even though I don't own a farm, I just manage a farm, you know, I've, I've had to make decisions just with this podcast um, that, you know, I could have gone into debt when I started, I could have bought all this really nice audio equipment, you know, I could have, there's this conference that I really want, want to attend in Dallas in August uh, for podcasters, and, you know, I, I could open a business line of credit for that, but, you know, I'm just tr- choosing to grow this really slowly and to not go into debt, and I'm... I'm betting that that's going to pay off in the long run, you know, that I don't have to, you know, pay back loans on something and just like, for instance, like artificially increase the schedule that I put out podcasts at because I need ad revenue other and you know, and then in doing that, that I would, I'm, I'd, I'd be working more. My work life balance would start to suffer. You know, I'm, I'm betting on the side of uh, life satisfaction rather than making that short term, um, like a short-term, I say, economic commitment um to the podcast that I have to pay back over the long term. So, uh, yeah, it's farming is something that before the food ever gets on your plate, if you're buying it from the grocery store, you know, there's been decisions made by the government to bail out farmers. There's been decisions by farmers about you know the kind of crops that they're going to plant, the kind of volume that they're going to plant at. They have loans that they have to repay. And paradoxically, they have these huge loans. So what happens is they will plant more of a certain something than um, they would have normally because like also with like dairy farmers, this is totally a thing. So like, let's say milk prices are low and they can't, they can't break even on their production costs. What they'll do is, is they will actually milk more and because they'll be like, well, at least if I milk more, then I might have to work more hours and I might just not have to pay myself, but at least I can get a lower price for the milk and pay my other bills through that lower price. Um, The problem is, is that if one dairy farmer does that, it's fine. If a country full of dairy farmers do that, it just exacerbates the problem because the milk prices were low already because demand was low or because supply was high, either one. Um, and if you just increase supply without the demand going up, the prices are only going to drop lower and lower and lower. And so then like you get into this, this like hamster wheel of just low and low and low prices. Um, and this is kind of what the commodity market does is that, you know, you're, you're making bets on how quickly the market will turn versus what your customers actually want. Um, the, the cool part about direct marketing your product and finding farmers who will market to you directly is that in a direct marketing system, farmers have to take responsibility for profit and preparedness. I mean, after all, like you don't give them a pity paycheck. Either they give you a timely product you want and you'll pay for, or you don't give them anything. And it keeps farmers really honest. And like when we do that, it also kind of forces us to look at our farm holistically and look at not just the economic decisions of what we make, but the environmental decisions of what we make. Because 
you know, we can't make the economic decisions we want and have the quality of life we want if our farm isn't going to support that down the road. So, you know, everything's kind of tied up together in there. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts for this morning on the farming game. Um, it does feel like a game sometimes. There's uh, there's crazy things that happen. There's weird decisions that have to be made. And there's, you know, all these uh, kind of like unseen pieces of machinery that are operating uh, just outside your view that lead to what we know today as farming. So I hope you enjoyed it and I hope to give you something else in a couple more weeks. Uh, Let me know what you think. Until next time, see ya. Woof! Which one are you? I created lots of extra content for you on my Patreon page if you want a deeper dive into my life and the world of regenerative agriculture. I need your support to keep doing this. Depending on how much you want to give, you might either be a brood of hens, guard pups, a flock of sheep, or a herd of cows. Personally, I'm a sticker fanatic. I have a Hydro Flask water bottle on display in my home covered with about 100 stickers from every corner of Colorado. It's one of my most prized possessions. I created a special offer for my fellow sticker fanatics where you'll get a high quality sticker of the podcast logo in the mail if you pledge your support to me on Patreon. Put it on your water bottle, the back windshield, your laptop, a guitar case, or a street light if you're really feeling gutsy. I know it's only taken like six months for me to get it together, but it's been kind of busy here. My dairy cows definitely consumed most of my day, and I just recently dried them off. I have so much time, I barely know what to do with myself. This podcast isn't a super slick production. It's just me in a dark basement in the wee hours of the morning. I need your financial support to keep producing this. If this show means anything to you, if you find some value in it, please consider donating. However you came to find this podcast, your support, any support would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode or want to sponsor a future one, shoot me an email to austin at letthemeatgrass.org. I might even include your question along with my answer at the end of my next episode. If you thoroughly enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous for the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin. That's E-L-O-I-G-N at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin. And sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. Stay with me, won't you? Thank you.